Hello, everyone. Good Life Housing Partners, episode 29, sitting here in downtown Los Angeles at the GLHP HQ, as we like to call it. And we are uh, ready to have a quick open forum discussion. Sorry, this week, no questions. We're going to keep it a little tighter as uh, I have to run home a little sooner than expected. But here on Tuesday, March 16th, a lot of things going on. I'm coming off it a two-day sprint in Dallas-Fort Worth where the mask mandate was removed. And David, to my surprise, I saw many masks. You saw many masks? Yes, still. I saw many masks out there. I'm surprised. It, I would think they, I would have that would have been same. a state where the masks would be quickly would have, off. Yeah, I would have thought masks off, breathing freely, sucking it all in. But nope. I think uh, basically what I figured out was while you could remove your mask, and definitely as you sat at a table or you sat within a hotel or wherever you did, there is just every business basically has some level of mask mandate when you enter. And so I just think it's kind of the deal to just have your mask on still. Even even restaurants and bars? Everywhere I went. Every, I had a couple dinners. I had a couple lunches. Everything had a mask mandate from entering until you got to your table. And so uh-huh. most people had that thing on. And they were just, you know, I, I don't know if they even considered and, it. And Texas is full open, right? Ubers so had mask mandates. So, but Texas is full open. No it's capacity. Full open. No capacity limits either. No capacity limits. Definitely some PPE between tables. Definitely PPE in anything that's public, but um, no capacity and no mask bandits. But really, I think, and I think the the reality of it was that uh, it was just those businesses. Most businesses have some sort of mask mandate, and so you can't really. You still got to have that mask on when you enter before and before you sit down. So most people just, I think, kept it on. So it's interesting. I think, I think it will continue, I guess, for a little bit until so. people finally have. Until the, the businesses start changing. Yeah, and and, and people have the courage, I guess, to. I don't know if people were like, concerned about it. I didn't get that thing, but it was just like, you, you know, there's signs you have to have a mask before you enter. So I think like, all right, I'll put my mask on, or my mask is still on. Huh. Interesting. Very I interesting. Thought, yeah, I would have thought differently. Yeah. Because as you know, here in, here in Los Angeles, uh, yes. yesterday was, was the big first day where we, uh, the, which I've been waiting for a long time. I know you have too probably. You know, they reopened indoor dining. Yes. You know, prior to, to yesterday. you already hit that. Yeah, I actually went indoor dining today. Good for you, my friend. And uh, pr- prior to that, it was just only outdoor dining and, you know, it, indoor dining, while well, still limited, 25%. Um, but, uh, you know, gyms even opened at a 10% limit, which has been closed for a while. Movie theaters also 25%. And uh, the big Disneyland and Universal Studios, which, you know, theme parks, uh, which play a big role in, in the Southern California economy, also opened 15% capacity. And then the malls, um, you know, at 50% capacity, um, you know, and per- personal care services. So, so things definitely are very different from L.A. because I don't even remember now exactly how long it's been shut. So uh, what? Just restaurants and indoor dining and and. All these other restrictions we've had in California. It's been I mean, over it six months, ju- nine July. months? July. Yeah. So it's been... Uh, it was like right around that July 4th holiday is where the indoor dining shut down. Yeah. So for me, it was very interesting because I actually, the day before on Sunday, I actually dined at a restaurant, but I ate outdoors. And hmm. today it was very unusual to be indoors. So to see that switch. But still distanced. So still distanced, yes. And still uh, mask if you were just walking into the restaurant to do your takeout. But no uh, no mask definitely at, at the tables. So um, it's nice to experience what we've been experiencing in Dallas and, and uh, Las Vegas and Reno that I had 
a few weeks ago. Good red state living, huh? Yeah, Good getting red a little state red state living, living back to back 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 to L.A. Yeah, well, as uh, we'll see. I mean, uh, but you I, know. but I think it's the continuation, and it, I guess also we, a few days ago we passed the one year anniversary, right? So the anniversary, the one year anniversary, this whole Bear lockdown, game and all that and, stuff. And so, yeah. looking back one year later now, um, you know, I guess back then when we first went into lockdown, we never anticipated the rest of the year that we would have with all those lockdowns and things slowing down, and yeah, now a year later. Uh, auspiciously, it's good that we're sort of starting to reopen, um, and I think there's more positive signs too. Is you know, I think someone told me today we're over 100 million, vaccines. 107 million vac- vaccines, and actually, oh, myself actually got a got vaccination last week. Uber Eats, baby. <laughs> and so our lady said, "You was Uber Eats driver." So, so and, and I think this, you. and what's interesting is uh, LA County also uh, started allowing vaccinations. They expanded the group here in, Cal- in California. Uh, for below 65, uh, between ages 16 and 65, and with severe medical conditions, what was fascinating to me was that uh, the LA County Health Department said they're going on an honor system, and so it's impractical to check everyone's health conditions. That is great. Yeah, and so I, I have a funny feeling there will be a lot of people going for those vaccinations, claiming to have uh, maybe they're smokers with lung disease or. Or, or, or if they're claiming they're pregnant or, or HIV or some other uh, disease, which they may or may not have. Um, so I think there will be a shortage probably <laughs> of vaccines. Short-term shortage. I, Short-term I think shortage. you're going to hit a, a very quickly uh, a surplus too. Yeah. And, I, and I guess Biden talked about that last week too. He, he, he thinks we're going to hit – well, actually, we've already hit the 100 million mark. He said 100 million in 100 days. and so Actually, you know what? If I really think about it, out of everyone I know that wanted a vaccine – you were one of the last to want it and actually get it. <laughs> like, everyone I know, like, that wanted it, like, actually just, like, has gotten it somehow. Yeah. And, like, now it's, like, this next group of people that's, like, eh, I got COVID, I'm sort of in that group, yeah. or do I need it? Our executive producer's sort of in that group. <laughs> and then there's, like, other people that, like, either had it or young enough where they don't care about it that are just, like, that I actually I don't really know the next person that really wants it but can't get it. Like I'm trying to think of one. I don't have it offhand. I've I've got a couple of friends like that. Oh, but, okay, but, good. but 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 you guys roll together. Actually, <laughs> actually, what's interesting too is uh, I was actually talking to my family. My sisters <laughs> are, are in New York City, and uh, one of my sister's good friends actually a doctor, and I was surprised because <laughs> I told them about my vaccine story. A doctor and, didn't get it. No, and she doesn't have it. But she also is refusing to get it. Oh. And I was very surprised that, that I really Why? as a doctor. Uh, well, she's also a doctor. She's a medical MD, definitely. But she's also she's one of these medicine. holistic holistic type doctors, too, yeah. who That's uh, is scared is. of big pharma. And yeah. so they, she, she wants to wait camp. for more uh, you know, testing, testing and, and see, see if there's side effects. And, you know, especially, I think, Bless I think her heart. Yeah, AstraZeneca had a little problem, have a little flaw, have some <laughs> blood clot, clot issues in Europe. <laughs> Over there but, but it's interesting too, because I guess also I think we have like thirty million uh, doses of, of AstraZeneca. They said the U.S. government has, just which, which you're just sitting there, you don't know what to do with. Yeah, they're not confident which, about which, it. Which, yeah, I think they should just give that away somewhere, <laughs> at least instead of just let it sit there. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, but it's interesting that, that that there is some blood clotting going on. But I remember listening to the European person who's in charge of vaccines still saying that the. the the benefits outweigh the cost. Yeah, probably, they, pro- yeah. probably does on a grand scheme macro level, but not not to the person, I guess, psychologically, who's, who, you know, if people are scared of taking getting a vaccine, they think there's a risk they're going to get a clot. 
blood clot. They don't want to take it. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, I guess, where, where we are. is like, you know, you're just, you're in this world where, you know, it, it's been a lot of starts and stops. And we're still in this mode of, like, there could be another stop. It could be another lockdown. There's another variant. There's another this. But I'll tell you, in the last two weeks, the overall optimism of most of the people I'm meeting is way up. People are booking trips, people are getting out, people are eating out, people are, there's just, people that had no confidence like three, four months ago suddenly have a lot of confidence. Yeah. Like a lot of confidence, yeah. They're getting out a there's lot. And, and there's definitely anecdotally, uh, on the confidence side, definitely, you know, because as you know, I, I, I like to make sure my PPE is well stocked. Yes, you do. And, and the uh, supermarkets and the uh, Costco's are... Uh, fully stocked <laughs> so so there is no run or panic buying i don't see anymore that, that we've seen a few times during surges during this uh this period um related to that i think uh you know one of the, still the big questions is what's going to happen in, in office market in the office market is that, that going to recover is it not going to recover one of the interesting things i read about was this you know they they talk about the untethered class of workers there's about 8.7 million people who are you know, 32 years of age average who are highly educated, who uh, have been working from home and working remotely. And, you know, what happens to this class of people? Um, a lot of cities, you know, a lot of them have, you know, moved out of the urban infill areas and, and to, to outline suburbs or to other cities. And there's a lot of talk about what, what you know, what happens to this group? You know, you know, if, if businesses now that are starting to reopen, are they going to, you know, still allow this work from home or, or have some hybrid version of it and the impact that that'll have on, uh, you know, office values? And yeah, there was another study done. Well, it was recently. the thing we talked about yeah. last week because my number is like, like there will be cities, these second tier tertiary cities. They're like, here's 10,000 bucks to come to Tulsa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. And, that's, and like, that's what they said. They said, they said a lot of cities good. who, who want to like, attract, and, and this is an attractive. Nice. It's actually nice. I've been yeah. there. And this is an attractive demographic because they're highly educated. They have yeah. money. They have, they have good income. They have good income, and so cities want them to, to, to That's come. Building blocks of cities, and right so, there. And so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out if these people actually. Yeah, move. but they they've seen a surge in applications. Mm. So you're seeing all these like Zoom cities pop up because of this this idea. That's I guess the new term is Zoom city. City, yeah. The Zoom city. So, I I think I think we're seeing it too, and like. You know, I think Dallas forwards is a great example of it, but I think Phoenix is an awesome example where you're yeah. seeing a lot of California-like people and jobs and a lot of those things, but state income tax is half or at max half. Um, property tax is less. It's, like, pretty open. <laughs> like, uh, you know, it's pretty hot for a few months there. It's kind of uncomfortable, but... Yeah, there's yeah, definitely cities like where we invest in Dallas Fort Worth, Phoenix, um, Salt Lake Sun City, Su Salt Lake City, Sunbelt Cities. Yeah, they, I think I saw a phrase that in some, one report they called it the uh, in migration momentum. It is going to continue, and you know where does that leave the suburbs and also the big urban areas? It's still sort of the big question. Well, I think I think it's it's the in migration. The only thing that's going to really, I think, tap the brakes on it eventually here, and it's something we've kind of been overriding in our at least I've been touting for the last few weeks, is really it is the, the, the single-family home market has completely shrunk. It, we are now, and I've got some more color on this, we are at 50% in terms of inventory with 2x the amount of buyers. Mm. 
So you have a 100% increase in buyers, and you have 50% decrease in inventory. Yeah. And even whether you're in Los Angeles or Salt Lake City or yeah. Phoenix or Chapel Hill, wherever you are, it doesn't really matter. But when that's happening, eventually those buyers that are that are come in as renters to see to test it out, quote unquote, they will eventually become buyers. And if they can't buy, or they feel the buy price is too high, mm-hmm. those people again now resort to maybe resort, maybe that could be like the blind spot in that in this in migration. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, definitely. I mean, as you just described, if you have a high high buyers, low supply, natu- the natural the natural effect is price is going to go up even prices more. Prices go up. They get they get right. That's where pricing you know just goes up because the demand way outstrips the supply. Yeah. And that's where we are. Yeah. Well, I think also with this untested class, they also say too, like, okay, if the prices are so high, do they really want to buy and live right in that, so that, in that core urban area, or which do is they really want to migrate? That untethered class, that thirty-two year old. Is like cool. I'm just renter anyways. Yeah. I'm gonna get a cool loft, whatever. I'm just gonna do my life. But eventually, when they meet someone, and maybe have a dog yeah. or a cop yeah. child or something, or have a have kids because they don't have kids. Though. Yeah, they don't have kids. Eventually, when they become a little more tethered, maybe not to a city or a job, but become like tethered to like a family, and they start saying, "Geez, we're spending a lot of rent here, or this doesn't work for our family anymore." Then the housing affordability starts to kind of sit in. And, and then they may move. To, and then they, they may, may move to cheaper And then housing. who knows? I mean, then bets off again. Because I think that that could be one of the blind spots in this in-migration is, like, can those cities supply enough housing? Because right now it's not happening. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's an interesting thing. On uh, Going back to the office, I think it's hard to say what's going to happen, especially in these urban cores where people just – I think a lot of it right now – and this is the other side of it, where it's, like, housing supply is at, like, all-time shortage – we know the housing office office supply is at a surplus. It has to be. Yeah. But it's it's like a it's either it's not you're not I mean I've read some pubs on it now and you don't it's not affecting it yet that much and I think there's two reasons. One is that there's a lot of long-term leases in place with good tenants, good credit tenants, good national tenants, big law firms that are not going to go belly up on leases. Mm-hmm. They're too much equity or assets or mm-hmm. balance sheet to do so. And the other side of it is, and I think we're seeing this right now, is like the, it's, it hasn't, a lot of that space has been, is still shadow. When people aren't using it, it might be like out for sublease, but it's not on the market. Yeah, not yet though. I mean, not I, yet. I mean, I think the big thing now is, is, you know, especially as we start to reopen, is those businesses will start to reopen. For the most part, most of, yeah, you know, I used to be a lawyer, and so most of the law firm and partners that I know and I talk to, a lot of the law firms technically haven't closed, but pretty much no one goes to the office. Yes. And so what they're all grappling with now is, okay, as we start, you know, restaurants are opening, other things start opening, you know, do, what do we do about returning to the office and, and how many people will we or will we not allow to work remotely? I think one thing the pandemic has proven is like some of the functions in, in the law firm world, can, you know, maybe some of the accounting, you don't need necessarily everyone to be in that office together. Yeah, it might feel good. It might feel good, yeah. And, and so uh, so that's still sort of the big question, which will start to get answered over the next few months as, as more and more offices do start to reopen. Um, I saw an interesting study that Fitch did, you know, sort of stress testing office buildings. And, you know, they had two scenarios, a moderate scenario where, you know, you, companies allowed people to, to work remotely one and a half days a week. And then the more severe scenario when they, when they have them work three days a week. 
And what's interesting is the, the impact on, on valuation and the cash flow was basically, um, you know, based on today's values, if, if you hit, if the more and more people you have work remotely, the values of those office buildings, because they're tenants, at the, those employers are tenants of those buildings, could conceivably drop by 50%. Yeah. That could be a pretty severe hit uh, to some investors if you if you oh, own yeah. those types of office buildings that aren't necessarily well located or if you've got high carrying costs. So that'll be an interesting thing to see play out, and there could be a wave of loan defaults, they said. Or, so. or, or like, I mean, I, the example that comes to mind for me is like, I remember in August, of last year when Pinterest paid basically $90 million to cancel their lease. Yeah. They were just like, this sucks. <laughs> we don't know when these people come back. Why are we leasing this office? Here's $90 million. Here's a check yeah. for $90 million to an office building that still hasn't been fitted out for us. We're not going to do this. We're, not gonna do we're that. out. Yeah. <laughs> and at, and at, probably in reality, looking yeah. for like six months, probably a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> bought some options. They, they're people all working from home. Yeah. They don't have that carry cost. Yeah. They've got a bunch of options of what they can do. Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, I think you'll see some yeah. deals like I that. I mean, realistically, even if you have good credit, the tenants, they're business people. They're, there's a cost to, to, you know, they'll incur some costs breaking there's the lease. There's a cost of occupancy. Yeah, the and cost of cost occupancy. Of and, and also that long-term out of that commitment. Occupancy. Yeah, there's a cost of getting out of it, and, and that cost may make sense for it them. might just and be, like you said, business decision. Business decision to, to negotiate or... or you know, basically, I, I heard some law firms have done this where they ha- they actually have, you know, offered to walk on leases and do things, and you know, then they eventually Pinterest settle. Is the what I've heard. Yeah, then they'll settle with the, with, with with the landlord because at the end of the day, what's the landlord going to do? Because he's got he needs cash. He rather have, yeah. He doesn't want zero cash and get protracted litigation and spend costs and yeah. still have to deal with his landlord. He'd rather work something out. And so, I think definitely think there will be more and more negotiation happening. I think so too. I think a lot of these guys are going to say, "What's the point?" Yeah. All right, should we do some numbers? Sure. What's your number of the week? My number of the week is actually 5.1%. And that, my friend, represents the unemployment in the very open state of Florida. But what makes that really interesting is... That's a pretty low rate. It's a very low rate. It's basically full employment. What makes that really interesting is when you compare it to California, which is at 9.3% currently. Okay. Okay. And... And I think this is, this is indicative of, one, an open state that has roughly the same amount of deaths and positivity rate of COVID as California. And I don't think you can, like, there's any more chance of catching it here than there. So mm-hmm. we'll just assume everything's the same. Yeah. But that 4% represents basically the lockdown. Mm-hmm. That this is where you're, the lockdown has eaten you out. Because that basically probably represents tourism. And restaurants. Yeah, those are the two biggest. Those are the two, two biggest, biggest holdouts at this point, right? right? Yeah. So you can't work from home on those. Yeah. So, and what it what it really shows is like, what's amazing about it on the California end is that it's nine point three, which should, which if you look at over the summer, that was a you know, double digit number. That was like mid teens in California. So actually, it's gone down. Mm-hmm. And so while Florida is actually very good at five percent. Even California will eventually get there as we open more and more up. Mm-hmm. And I think eventually what's going to happen here is, like housing, you're going to see a, a severe shortage, at least at least short-term, in labor. Yeah, as we get as we get closer to that 5%. As we get closer to that 5%. Because as these, so unlike Florida, where they're open and all their businesses are open, they're just getting to the 5% number. So they're yeah. basically almost getting the full, full employment. And they still have some ways to go on opening. 
we're a ways away from yeah, opening. Yeah. We don't even know if at the places that we would normally go to for lunch or yeah. dinner are even going to come back at this yeah. point. But eventually, as what happens, those people that have basically pivoted to other jobs or other, they eventually start coming back too. And so our number as tourism comes coming back and restaurants are coming back will get closer to five and eventually probably should drop below. How long it stays below, that's stimulus and a lot of bigger factors mm-hmm. all together. Mm-hmm. But it could very well be that we will eventually hit a shortage. That's interesting because it also makes me think about Las Vegas too where, where they depend on a lot of leisure and yeah. travel and hospitality, especially convention business. And I know now, uh, just talking to someone in Las Vegas, I, I think they just announced their you know, full. restrictions of, uh, off, You know, especially the casino hotels. You know, shows can go on. <laughs> the shows can go on. The restaurants yeah. all open. The pools open. Right before March Madness and, weekend, and, baby. And so, exactly. This is March Madness weekend, which which I, I confess I may be going to. As you should. <laughs> and so it'll should. be interesting to see how that continues over, over the next next few months. Fascinating. So my number Please do. is 112%. Interesting. And what that represents is, is the apartment leases in Manhattan, which as we talked on prior podcasts, has, has plummeted. Um, you know, thirteen and a half percent at least year over year decline, just because you know unemployment, pandemic, shutdown. New York was one of the was originally the first and hardest hit state and city in Manhattan, and over the last month, um, lease the leases, the apartment leases that have been signed, have surged, and then now one hundred twelve percent, which is doubling basically, um, and obviously there's concessions there to attract and lure people, but it's also a reflection of as we talked about earlier. Restaurants sort of slowly reopening. I mean, the, rest, the indoor dining is open there too, um, more so than in, than in LA. It's a little twenty five percent capacity restriction. I think they're at fifty or more, and office workers are actually starting to come back to Manhattan. So I do think, um, you know, that that's an interesting sign. Whereas Manhattan was the worst hit in terms yeah. of leasing and apartment leasing. And granted, it also had the most expensive rents, and now that's also taking a dive. But now there's some positive signs. And I, yeah, I think I'm that's going to be a, a you know, question is whether that's a longer-term trend or is that just a short blip and it'll be flat for a while. I think it's long-term. I mean, I think that that's amazing. In some ways, it's, it shows you how low this January was because January is an awful leasing month yeah. in anywhere that's cold. It's just terrible. Like even Dallas, it shows the weakest numbers and it's not even that cold there. Mm-hmm. So New York has got to be an awful leasing month in January, but February's not that much warmer. And to double your, basically double your leasing yeah. shows you either how bad that January was, which because that was probably, aside from April of last mm-hmm. year, that was probably the lowest point of New York, mm-hmm. where the cases were ramping up back up, sure. and it was getting a little crazy. But then suddenly they, they came out of it, and then it shows you, and they really didn't open like their dining, and all, because they can't really do outdoor yeah, because it's too cold, or, or it's too cold, or people are sick of sitting in the cold. Or I people are sick, yeah, or sitting in the cold. So like, they probably opened that back up. I think it was like mid Jan, late Jan. Yeah, like just like us. So that means people were starting to gear up on the leasing as the mm-hmm. as the month of January. As the positive, like January started probably bad, but it started to quickly turn. Yeah, and and I think you know again like like most states as as vaccination continues in New York yeah. and other stuff, you know, it's. You know, the fear is, is dissipating, thawing out, and, and people are more and more people are going back to, you know, I want to live in Manhattan. Yeah. I see it coming back. Yeah. So I think, I think that's a, I mean, that's a tremendous number. It would be interesting as to track seeing how that number goes as the, as the year progresses and 
I think you'll just see that number increase. Yeah. I could see it going up another 1,500%. Yeah. question is month. how big an increase it'll go next next few months. Or I could see that it could increase. I think where the, 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 the I, I would say spike. that the rents, the actual rents people are getting, the concessions, mm-hmm. will, that's where it'll really Yeah, I think that'll probably start, start dying down. Because yeah. I think there's some vacancy to be had there. Yeah, definitely uh, some overhang. Definitely some overhang. Uh, well, that's it, folks. This week is, is not a long one, and we're holding out on a couple questions for our next pod, but uh, this was a, a short but good one. Uh, David, final last words? Uh, be safe, everyone, and get, get vaccinated. Get vaccinated. <laughs>